0: Welcome to the Cascade Church Portland podcast. We're a church that works to be both safe to be and safe to grow through our commitment to intentionality, diversity, curiosity, prayer, and advocacy. Enjoy! Hey, right at the beginning of this podcast, we jump into the story of Ruth and Ruth 1. So if you are listening and it doesn't make a lot of sense, it's a little confusing, I encourage you to stop, pause the podcast. Um, And read Ruth one for a bit more context and kind of understanding of what we're discussing. Um, If you are annoyed that I just gave you homework on a podcast, I get it. Um, Listen, you still get a lot out of it and enjoy it even if you don't go back. Um, But if you want to, that could help. Enjoy. Have your family living around you and to lose your husband is awful and crushing. But it's also there's a different level of being exposed in that place and then to later lose both of your sons, it is a picture of I have nothing left. The grief and the deep grief of losing family connected also with the loss of social identity. And the other level to bring in here is that her sons, good Jewish boys, married Moabite women, which is doing nothing within their family and their circle to kind of help their standing. This would be another knock against them and their family. It would be more whispers of their community and family back in Bethlehem. They married Moabite women. So now Naomi has no husband, no sons. She only has her Moabite daughters-in-law. Which again, there's a certain tragedy that we capture just in that narrative, but there's also a thing that we miss in there of how kind of without anything Naomi would have culturally, personally, in every single way. And so there's a story in between that we're not going to cover. We're basically, Naomi says, I'm going back to Bethlehem. There's nothing for me here. There's nothing here for me anymore. And Orpah, fun fact, Orpah was the name that was put on Oprah's birth certificate, but they transposed the R and the P, and then they were like, sure. So that's how... Oprah, got her name. Um, Orpah goes back to Moab and says, yeah, thank you for releasing me. And Ruth says, I won't go. I'm coming with you, Naomi. And there's actually this really beautiful, striking, brave, bold declarations where she says, where you go, I'll go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. But I want you to catch here in 119 when Naomi returns back to Bethlehem. That name Mara literally means bitter. And her name would have translated to something sweet and full, that there was a life and a fullness to her. So on top of the shame of having returned and having lost everything, they also would have seen her. And you can see the witnesses say, is this even still Naomi? Naomi that there is a physical manifestation of the incredible deep grief that Naomi has had. And it has changed her at such a deep and profound level that she's like, my name doesn't fit me anymore. I didn't just lose my husband and my kids. I lost my very identity. My name is like an ill-fitting coat I can't stand to wear anymore. I need a new name to identify how I feel and who I am today. This story is is one that I feel like a lot of times if you hear about the story of Ruth, it goes to Ruth and Boaz and a new marriage and a happy future and all of that, but a lot of it glosses over the beginning, where it's a picture of complete and total loss and desolation. And one of the things that all of these losses have in common and I think can be a helpful way for us to tap into our grief and loss, is that grief and sadness are linked to broken expectations. I want you to think when Naomi and Elimelech left Bethlehem to go to Moab, at no part in their talking and their planning are they like, is this a good idea? You might die and our sons might die. At no place did they ever think that that would be a part of their future. Their move to Moab was for hope. It was for food. It was for survival. It was for a different kind of blessing somewhere else, that things were going to be better for us in Moab. And a lot of the, the times we would say, well, Naomi wasn't saying that, that someone wouldn't die, that she, she wouldn't believe, well, there was no way that her husband could die or that her kids could die. But what would be very true is that there is no tomorrow that Naomi envisioned that would have uh, it would have brought their death with them. That every future day would have thought with her husband by her side and her sons there and present. And a lot of times in grief and sadness, some of us are very tuned into it. And we know when we feel a grief and a loss and we can definitely identify with that sadness. But some of us go through life saying, I don't know, I just don't feel very sad very often. One of the reasons why we want to give hospitality to our grief and our sadness is because when we go through times of loss, when we go through incredible pain, when we have expectations we had for our future not met and those things are broken, there's a grief and a sadness inside of us. It's in us. And when we can sit with it and greet it, when we can demonstrate hospitality with it, now we can learn more about why it is in us, about what those expectations had that we did have for our future and why they were there. If we never sit with our grief and loss, we just keep going on until these painful moments and histories come out sideways in our life. And Because grief and sadness is tied to broken expectations, one of the things I want to encourage all of us to look is it can be easier for us to identify grief and sadness around loss or painful stories, painful things in our past. But sometimes grief and sadness is hard to identify in the positive things that have happened in our lives. Maybe a new promotion, or you get to move for work. Maybe you have a child, Maybe you start a new relationship. You start dating someone. You get engaged. You get married. You have these things that people are like, I'm so happy for you. And yet, if these things, if we didn't see them coming, if we didn't know that they were going to happen in this way, there's also a tomorrow that we envision that isn't true anymore. That expectation of what it would be like is gone. And we tend to do this comparison game with like, well, I don't have anything sad to, I don't have anything to be sad about because this thing happened and this thing is good. But we've never sat with the fact that our expectations of what tomorrow could look like are now different. They've changed. And so what I want to encourage us to do this morning is to think, certainly identify with the times of loss, of pain, but also what are the moments where, The future days we thought, and they would look in a particular way, when did they change? When did they shift? When did the narrative start to move in a different direction that was unexpected, whether through good things or bad things, which, just as a quick note, those are really simplistic terms that don't capture things in our lives. Nothing that happens in our lives is either purely good or bad. Those are usually just the categories we drop it into. But because we drop it in those categories, it usually controls the way we talk to other people about it. And people will say things like, aren't you so happy? And you say, yeah, maybe. A lot of times when I think specifically of you giving new job responsibilities in whatever job or place that you are, and people are like, you must be so excited. And you're like, yeah, kind of. But actually, there's a mourning that we also need to do for the other trajectory. The other path that we were on, that we were going to take, that we were going to be in. And a lot of times, we never allow ourselves to do that because this new thing we have is good. And a lot of times, the people around us don't have much grace for that kind of mourning. We don't even allow it. Like, what do you have to be sad about? You know who should be sad is person X over here. They have a reason to be sad. And we do this weird grief and sadness comparison game instead of saying, is it sad to you? One of the ways I see this most clearly is in children. Have you ever watched parents walk around with a child who drops an ice cream cone or they thought they were going to a movie and the movie sold out? And you're like, this is, or they lost a Lego And you're like, this, in the grand scheme of life, is a very insignificant thing. But they are freaking out. Have you ever thought that maybe in their five years of life, this really is the worst thing that's ever happened to them? Yeah, it's not for you. (laughs) But no one's asking, is it the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to you? Is it traumatic for them? And can we meet people in our lives with grace for what they're experiencing without doing this weird comparison thing? And then on top of the comparison thing, we usually put in spiritual language about the nature and identity of God. That when we're in these times like, well, God says don't worry about tomorrow. I mean, look at the flowers and the birds. They're taken care of. What are you worried about? What are you sad about? What are you grieving? What are you tied to? Instead of saying, if there's grief within you, it's okay to have hospitality because it's there. It's worthy of being attended to because it's there. And what I love about the nature of God is that God knows this and sees this and is inviting us to pay attention to the grief and sadness within us. That God never once in the entirety of Scripture says, what are you whining about? Have you seen their lives? God does not do this. So why do we? And part of sitting with this and saying, what are the expectations that are brooding? What are the loss that are there? There's a piece of art that kept on coming uh, to my head that um, Scott Erickson made. And I didn't ask permission, so, so sorry. But this is an image that that Scott created. And this was um, in a different context, about sitting with our shadow self. But I love this image of sitting with our grief and our sadness, to have hospitality to our grief and sadness. What does it look like to sit with the hardest parts of the story? What does it look like to say, why are you here? If you've ever seen someone mourn the loss of a loved one, have you ever for one second said, that's enough? Or are you, are you still crying? Instead, when we see someone lose a loved one and they're crying, there's part of us that on a deep, profound spiritual level knows this is the product of love. You don't mourn something you haven't loved. You don't grieve something you haven't loved. And so when you see someone who has loved another so fully that it fills them with grief, you have permission after permission to them. Of course you should grieve. Of course you should cry. Of course you you shouldn't be over this. This morning and sitting with our grief and sadness, I'm wondering if the thing that we can see in others, if we could turn that back to ourselves, if we could celebrate the things that we have grieved because it is the product of love. It's the product of presence. It's the product of engagement. Only the unengaged would have any reason to never grieve. But if you have showed up to this life at all, if you have shown up to the reality that there is a God who's created and made all of us and one God sits behind the vast diversity of this world, then grief is a result of love. And it's something that should be given great space and should be treated as what it is, sacred, sacred. Culturally, we've spent so much time running from this table. Personally, I've spent so much time running from this table. But this table and this space is sacred. And so what I want to do is we're going to leave this image up to be an image of contemplation. I encourage you to look, to consider, to pray. But we're going to have some time to just be, for you to breathe. And consider not just the words and the ideas and grief and sadness and loss, expectations, what it all means, but to see how does this track with my story? How does this track to what's happening in my life right now? I invite you to enter that space now. God, I thank you for what grief and sadness. God has to show us about love and presence. God, I pray that we would create space within ourselves, God, to sit with the uncomfortable parts of our story. God, those moments of broken expectations where the tomorrow we envisioned is no longer possible. And God, we would grieve. God, we would ride the wave of sadness. That, God, we would be present to it within our heads, within our hearts, within our souls, within our bodies. And that, God, we would create space for the people in our lives to grieve as well. That, God, our very person would be an invitation to others to grieve and to grieve well. God, may we be a people that helps one another. Grieve, God, as a way of honoring love. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.